Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Scholar AI Founders Pod. Remember to find us at all the places you find your podcasts and check us out on YouTube at the Scholar AI uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I'm joined by Lakshay and Josh today, and we are going to be downloading uh, the recent Google Gemini news along with some other news um, circling around Google Reddit and touch on some other topics. So thank you all for joining us. Um, be sure to leave your comments uh, in the sections below, and we'll be sure to get to them in following episodes. So um, Lakshay, let's, let's start with you. Uh, Google released the Gemini models. They also have some lighter weight Gemma models. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but yeah, to start with any of your thoughts on kind of that model and what you think that may mean or not mean. Yeah, so over the last week, there was a pretty big announcement from Google. Um, obviously, they released BARD a couple months ago. Like, it had some level of publicity, but never really, like, struck the level of, like, I think, um, momentum they wanted it to. So they released Gemini, which has this gigantic context window, like, very, very massive. Um, when you look at demos, like, you can hand it whole code repositories. It'll, like, parse through them, analyze, all that sort of stuff. Um, and overall, like, launch itself, very, very impressive. As with most of these models, what ends up happening is when it gets into users' hands is that obviously the edge cases of like, hey, how can we get the model to do something a little bit, you know, questionable, like where do the ethics lie? A lot of those problems started coming up. And we saw a lot of instances specifically with the image generation and just like question answering where ethically and just like even just like content wise, a lot of stuff that was coming out was very, very controversial. Um, one that stood out in my mind is, for example, someone asked for like, hey, like generate pictures of German soldiers from the years like 1930 to 1940. And it put in Asian, African American, it put in people who would very much not be represented correctly by that, um, as well as just like, a lot of almost to the point where like safety and like the guardrails put into the system led to historical inaccuracies that would probably be considered borderline offensive in a lot of ways, right? And that started a lot of controversy, especially in, like in the tech, like startup sphere about like, what does this mean for Google who like historically is known for playing these launches very, very safe, where being so safe and trying to guard a lot made the model kind of objectively worse in a way. Um, and so that's kind of where that stands. I, per I have my opinions on it, but I'd love to hear what you guys think as just like gut reactions before I get into what I think. My, my first question is, how much of Google's agenda is interlaced deeply within their uh, overall um, weighting and the way that they, they generate content, whether that's images or, or text? Um, it's, it seems like this is a very hard, um, almost intractable problem to separate Google's internal staff's agenda um, and, and and the way I've heard it asked, I think is the right framing is, are they too woke to function in this, in this world where truth seeking and accuracy are the, are the real North stars and Google's North star isn't that it's some internal sense of fairness. Uh, it's well-intentioned, but is it, is it well-intentioned idiocy? Is it, um, is it surplus elites as it's been called, um, the 50 or 60% of Google staff who really have no business working at Google and, that capital should really just be a dividend to shareholders instead of a ton of extra unnecessary staff. I mean, we've probably all heard of people who work at Google who just kind of sit on lawn chairs and, and hang out and don't really have, have a whole lot of concrete contributions other than the, the kind of general posturing. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I think that's, these are the right questions to ask is how much of Google's internal staff's agenda is interwoven into their, their models and how much of that can be now extricated. The, the, the process of extrication uh, feels a lot like 
the pivot that Zuckerberg had to go through with reality, with the reality labs investment and the major pivot that Meta had to make from the, the many billions invested in reality labs toward kind of a, a more kind of refocused Meta, the kind that Meta, Meta's been an incredible stock over the last year because they got refocused. They understood that they were charging too hard in one direction, changed, changed directions, and then uh, drove in, in the way that creates real shareholder value. Google's got that problem right now. They've got to do a major shift. They probably need to cut a huge percentage of their staff. And this is it's going to be really hard. Corporate, corporate culture there has to change fundamentally in order for this new North Star of truth and accuracy to be be where they're heading as an organization and not an internal sense of fairness. Yeah, I think for me, it opens up several questions, the first of which being um, the accuracy of the models, right? So there, there is room or, or a more nuanced gray area for some topics, right? We can think about things that have made recent press, such as maybe the COVID vaccine as kind of the, you know, the kind of penultimate example of, or the, or the Paragon example rather of um, something that, you know, has valid arguments for both sides in, in many, many cases. In other things where Jim and I kind of got things hilariously and, and somewhat offensively wrong seems to be cases in which there is a, an objective truth and these safeguards, as Lakshay was kind of pointing out, have kind of steered the model in the realm of inaccuracy when when really they were just trying to be overly conscious or thoughtful and, and protective of, of certain groups um, or another good good or bad I think that there's a, there's interesting discussions to be had on all sides and I think the more relevant discussion for us and the way that we think about using these large language models to deliver value especially in the realm of science um, accuracy is obviously paramount and then secondarily to that we do operate a lot um, in areas where the evidence can be conflicting, right? So there, there can be scientific evidence on both sides of an argument, especially when it comes to things like drugs and their side effects or things like that. And so it just was an interesting inflection point, I think, um, not necessarily speaking directly to the Google of it all, but just kind of the macrocosm that is um, how these large language models are going to be used and how people might selectively think about using one model or another for specific tasks, right? So for some creative um, endeavors, writing, poetry, um, film, that kind of thing, you, you could see where um, a model that is, is not designed to inherently unearth truths could be useful. When you start looking at these tasks to be done with these models as professional tasks or things in which um, you know, that need to be grounded in some sort of truth or that at least need to be referencing some sort of source. I think that's when the questions become much more interesting and probably where there's a little bit of room to run in designing, designing a model that is ultimately truth seeking for whatever that means. And I think there's some, you know, kind of long conversations about how you actually define that or, or do that. Um, but in addition to just RAG, which we've implemented, but I, I do wonder if there's an opportunity for a model to be trained such that it is just simply truth first and a lot of the reinforcement learning that is done after the fact um you know with regards to ethics and otherwise um needs to be shaped in a slightly different way for slightly different tasks i, I don't have the answers but i think it is is at least thought-provoking um like so you said you had some you know further thoughts and opinions but feel free to share those yeah i guess like so on the topic of just like what this product ends up looking like to me like 
I think the issue of like whatever the correct level of guardrails are between like how these models should generate whatever, it feels like Google hit a hump, but it's not like, you know, it's not like the end of all things. Like Gemini will probably still release, it's still a fantastic model. Um, and it's still like launched out in the world. I think the place that to me it's really interesting is like we see this conversation, especially as it relates to like political agendas and um, like, I guess, education specifically, where a lot of where these tools become very, very explicitly useful is they're very capable teachers, right? They're very, very capable of like supplementing learning, like adapting to people's learning styles. And we, I think like where I'm the most curious, it's like what the ethical standard, I guess that emerges for these models sticks out is when we begin to like, look at like, Hey, this startup is making an app for like middle schoolers and high schoolers to learn topics. Right. We already see that in like modern education. Like there's a lot of controversy around like, what's the correct level of like societal consciousness to be teaching about what's the correct, like even history is something that's debated. Um, and so much of that is like education feels like something that like politically there's a lot of subjectivity about what should be the content of education, right? Despite what is true. Um, the nature of education also feels like it's so wavy at the moment of just like, what is it that we should be teaching young people in the United States right now? we're making models that are very capable of doing all of this, right? So it kind of feels like if people are beginning to use these models, ideas of like what education should look like, what should we know about history? What should we know about um, just a general societal awareness, general ethics? Those kind of standards don't exist and they're very, very subjective at the moment. Um, but it feels like more than ever, especially like ChatGPT has its own set of guardrails, like Gemini has its own set of guardrails. How do you kind of unify like what is correct teaching, what is the correct representation of history? How should it, what evocative feeling should one of these models have against truth, right? Um, it feels like there's a lot to still be understood that to me is the more interesting piece, I guess. Like there's a lot of like, you keep politics in it, you keep educational history in it, you keep like a, the long history of the United States and the world in it. Um, and there's just a lot in there that like, we don't understand that these models are already beginning to poke at. And like, we kind of have to have answers sooner rather than later. If we are, we are going to rely on like these super big models for most of our information, right? I tend to like the approach of perplexity with their, their rag style uh, with citations search rather than providing an answer, no matter what answer, because I like to have a way of diving deeper whenever, whenever I feel like it. I like that to be my choice and not the choice of, the the ui or the model that i'm using and so having those outbound links for search i feel like is just more fundamentally the the better approach because of trust and trust is the the one commodity that everyone needs to achieve in order to get critical user user behavior and and, and mass uh, and and i think that any ui that doesn't show kind of the answer to any any question if your purported truth quote unquote isn't isn't sourceable by some third-party links. I just don't think it's going to be trusted and, and uh, used for very long when when something else is, is there that offers that, like Perplexity's UI. I want to share, um, just kind of on, on Google, just uh, share um, a tab here that I thought was interesting. Um, this is uh, a post um, originally by Paul Graham. It says, the bigger your cash cow, the worse your culture can get without driving you out of business. And Google's cash cow, search advertising, is one of the biggest the world has ever seen. Brad's uh, repost is, um, he says, 
This shall now be known as the Paul Graham rule. Absolute mon monopolies endanger themselves. They lose the self-correcting imperatives of competition. Now they layer on the greatest innovator's dilemma in the history of business. Google needs an Elon Musk level, of course, correction. So I, I just take that to, to kind of um, expand on the point that, that Google's got a lot of soul searching and reformation to do. They've got the core of the most incredible business in the world in, in search as a cash cow, but it's now under attack by generative AI approaches. Um, my preferred approaches are the ones that show source links that you could go out to read, but there's no doubt that several of these generative AI approaches are going to eat into Google's market share if they stand pat. Do you think in addition to the RAG-based kind of citation method, Josh, you'd also like an option to pick your own model? So like if you find that for whatever reason, one model is delivering outputs in a way that you're more comfortable with or that you enjoy more, you would also like that as an additional feature to where let's let's say that, you know, there, there's a world in which, um, you know, Google and OpenAI, you know, models can, can be delivered in the same user interface and it is as simple as clicking into one or the other. Um, is that an option that intrigues you? Um, there's, there's some interesting thoughts, threads that come from that. But I'm just curious as to what you think your immediate reaction would be to that. I think the previous conventional wisdom has been that there would be one model to rule them all. And increasingly, I think that's not true. I think there's going to be not just multiple successful models, but that applications are going to leverage multiple models in the same use case, for example, for by dividing a task into the, the more kind of thoughtful questions that need a, a multi-trillion parameter model um, that, that you'll have, you'll have kind of the very heavy um, models that can handle deeper thought, um, but you'll, you may have much, much quicker kind of tasks that just need a lightweight speed model. And in those, you might value cost or speed over um, the, the the size of the model. So I think it's going to be a, a world in which we have multiple models and it, it's not so different biologically from the human brain. Not all of our neurons are, are made equal. Some some parts of our brain are, are very instantaneous, low thought, um, and other parts are, are much deeper in thought. And um, so I could see the, the evolution of a multi-model space developing to be kind of different parts of a brain. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really intriguing. I think the downside or the potential risk in having these various models floating around is that it can deepen the danger for people to kind of end up in these echo chambers or silos, right? Especially with regards to what Luxe was saying earlier and that in, in that a lot of truth has layers of, of subjectivity or at least different perspectives in which the truth can be told from and depending on those perspectives, um, you know, that the kind of the raw output of that might look differently. I do have some fear that people just left unguided will end up, you know, very much kind of in this very strong feedback loop of reinforcing their ideas rather than actually seeking objective truth. And I think that what you might end up with, unfortunately, is kind of the social media, all the negatives of social media kind of effect on steroids, which is, you know, concerning, I think. Uh, I think there's there are some mitigation strategies that have been ideated, but I, I don't know that I've necessarily seen any that truly guard against, you know, humans worst intentions um, in, in a way that is, yeah, I, I have a lot of confidence in yet. Um, on that same thread, as a slight tangent, I was thinking about this as Luxe was speaking. I, I finished a book not long ago. It's called The People's History of the United States. It was written by Howard Zinn. I was looking here in my Audible. Um, it is a historical perspective of the United States that was actually, it's told through a slightly different lens. Um, you know, for, for, for those listening, it, it has a, a slightly more left-leaning bias. So just, you know, for, be forewarned as you kind of go into that um, 
you know, with eyes wide open, but, um, it, it's incredibly well done in the sense that it does a really nice job of illustrating the juxtaposition of the recounting of historical events through the kind of more traditional, you know, um, American first lens and then kind of the, the, the alternative, um, viewpoint. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because as Luxie was speaking about it, it was, it was a very interesting read, um, or listen to in my case and, uh, kind of touched on some of the points that Luxie was making about not necessarily the subjectivity of, of history specifically, but at least the, the different vantage points in which those stories can be told through. Um, yeah, I was, um, like when, uh, as Shasha was kind of mentioning, like why perplexity sticks out one thing I do feel that like, I haven't seen happen yet is right now like obviously like news and journalism has like inherent bias depending on like what you're reading like it's known that like certain publications have biases in whatever direction whatever that is that's your choice right um but one thing that i haven't like seen happen yet is that like when we're discussing like credibility and like when we're relying on models to be our initial parsers i don't think i've seen anything that like does assessment of credibility in the same way for example like twitter does like oh like readers commerce like that's kind of like put a whole picture as best as like the public can on what is the actual story here if something's mr president or if there's like a like a bias in the article or whatever that may be um i think that at least would be interesting i think especially if we look at like hey if we're going to adopt an lm as some sort of oracle the same way a lot of people in with like ChatGPT do where it's just like I have a thought or a question that I need to answer. I go to ChatGPT. It'd be interesting to see like what it would look like for one of these models to have like credibility at its core, not just in its own function, but in the selection of like rag materials it uses and the selection of how it generates content. Um, Cause obviously there's so much that goes into journalism that goes into how content's created. Um, that's at least interesting. Like I feel like it's unexplored, but it should be. Feels like that kind of manifest is almost a, a confidence interval or something, you know what I'm saying? Or, or maybe, a, you know, maybe some way to go about that in some sort of elegant UX UI is posing both sides of an argument and kind of letting the, you know, the, the viewer or the observer choose for themselves. Um, ultimately, it'd be, it kind of shunts the responsibility back to the user, which I think that people that tend to want things fast and quick are going to push back on a little bit. But I, I do think it's interesting. Again, maybe we go back to this option of a toggle where you kind of get to, you know, choose your own adventure a little bit when you're using these different models of, of I don't just want an answer, right? I, I want to position both sides of an argument so that I can kind of make my own decision. And I want citations in both of those sides of an argument so that I can go and follow up with that information kind of, you know, more in depth. Um, I'm not sure. Very, very interesting. Um, I want to, I want to segue a little bit. Um, beyond the Gemini model specifically and just into more Google news that we read about kind of over the last two weeks or so. Um, it has been now disclosed that Google is going to pay roughly $60 million for, to Reddit for the use of their data in their training set. Um, I, I think a couple of things are interesting. Um, I'll kind of lay out some ideas here and then feel free to react to any of these. But first is why? Um, why Google would want to pay this money for Reddit. Uh, the second question is, is this undervalued or overvalued? And then as a third kind of tangent to the second, um, with Reddit's reported pending IPO, how much do we think that's maybe a driver of the decision to ultimately kind of sell this access to um, Google? So um, kind of starting, feel free to take that any way you want. Um, Josh, maybe we'll start with you. Any any initial reaction to kind of the news or the downstream kind of second and third order effects of, of the news? 
I'm going to go back to a framework that uh, I described in an earlier episode, which is the traditional inputs to any business are labor and capital. Labor being the people you employ and how much productivity you can create, either through your culture or your unique processes, how you how you leverage the, the people to generate value for the business. And then second, the capital in the business, and that, that, that it also has lots of nuance. What's the interest rate you're paying on capital? How are you deploying that capital? What, uh, who are your partners in that capital? So both of those two tooth knobs can be optimized uh, in, in lots and lots of ways. Uh, and th in this space now that we live in, when this AI world, there's a there's a third knob, uh, in, at least in my, my framing, which is the data. And so you take these three pieces, the labor, the capital, and the data, and you, you, can, you can kind of optimize and leverage for that. Um, Google's trading off capital for data. Uh, and they're they're one of the few organizations who have enough capital to be able to exclusively license content from Reddit, for example. Um, how much is is it to be valued? The way you would calculate that is to to understand how much of Reddit's data is not present elsewhere. Meaning the answers and the answers embedded within Reddit's data set are unique and therefore not replicable elsewhere. I have no way of measuring that, but I would guess that a significant amount of information that's in Reddit is also somewhere else, whether that's in Wikipedia or some other forums that are open uh, for, or part of common crawl. I would assume some significant portion, and you could say that's 50%, you might argue that's 30% or 80%. I don't know, and nobody really knows unless they've done the study. But, um, but the data knob, how you leverage that and how much of your capital you trade off for data is an interesting question. I continue to think that as the corpus of the, the common information set gets bigger and bigger, and as the models get get also bigger and bigger, the, including the open source ones, I don't think there will be enough differentiation. That's my gut instinct, is that the, this marginal difference in data, Reddit is big, but it's not that big compared to the internet, um, that marginal difference in data just simply won't make a big enough difference in comparison to the denominator, which is the total base of data uh, that's in the open domain as part of common crawl and elsewhere, which is continually growing. So I, I don't think this will, a long, long short of this, I don't think it's gonna make a difference. I think it will be a drop in the bucket, but it will be helpful for Reddit and it'll be a nice storyline for both Google and Reddit, particularly as Reddit tries to get through its IPO. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thought. I personally am not much of a Reddit user, so I don't have very good kind of context into what information exists in Reddit that might exist elsewhere, but I'm of a similar opinion than you in that many of these disparate data sets, Reddit being perhaps one of the largest disparate data sets possible, just are, are seemingly a drop in the bucket relative to the amount of information um, with regards to how much, you know, non-overlap is there of the internet. And so I, I just I just don't know how much can really be leveraged from a novel or a quote unquote unique data set in the actual training of these models, where it might become valuable as a, as a potential counterpoint is if you're just setting up a RAG-based system over this data set. So like, instead of, you know, like using the threat data for training, if you're a person that you, and you want to specifically find information on Reddit, that is, that is something particular to your use case that you feel very strongly about. And Gemini is the only model, as an example, that can use data pulled directly from Reddit. There, there might be some value in that. Again, it doesn't feel, it feels more marginal than it does like an exponential gain. So I don't know, again, how it kind of plays in at large, but it does feel to me like, you know, 
the internet's this massive ocean. Any of these one data sets, I'm just not sure how much of a needle a needle mover they are, especially when it comes to these very horizontal large language models. You know, a, a disparate data set for a very specific use application. Sure, I, I think you can make some argument that's going to make a difference. But you know, when it comes to Google or otherwise, I, I don't really see how how important this is. Um, that said, I think Reddit is consistently in the top ten um, sites as far as actual internet traffic globally. So if anyone's going to make a significant difference in data, um, they're probably a decent candidate for it. So I, I suppose we'll see how it plays out. Lakshay, are you a avid Reddit user or any, any thoughts with how this might plug in? Yeah, I don't use Reddit that much. Um, but like what I, like, I guess like the sensation I was at first getting when I heard about this announcement is that like, I don't know why I assume this reading the article, it's very much not this, but I figured like what Google would be getting out of this is like, user data and that sort of access to like, hey, who's this person? Like what communities are a part of are they a part of? What hobbies, interests, et cetera, that they have. And that inherently seems a little bit more valuable than just like, here are all the comments and posts we've ever had. There's like an interesting maybe like network angle to like the data they have that like most forums, like forum type websites in the world wouldn't really have. Um but to me I'm kind of the same opinion. Like if the goal here is to like, hey, like let's add more to our data pool of like what the solution is for like finding the best travel recommendations in this city, right? You can read that from Reddit. You can read it from a news article. It's not going to be that different, right? Um, I don't know. I think like when I heard about it, I was expecting it to very much be with the former thing I described. And that seems a little bit more interesting, but very like reading their announcement article, their partnership, it feels like it's just like, we're just adding to the general data set of data scraping over the internet, which doesn't seem that exciting entirely. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a real like needle mover in it by any means. In big companies, there's this huge uh, pressure and almost incentive to win the the news cycle and to to seem like you are doing something, um, and um, and to be able to answer to the board or in turn to the senior executives, the ex executives below them. We are doing something about this, and here's something we're doing. So there's this huge incentive to appear like you're doing something, and this could be just um, satisfying the, those needs, those short-term needs of getting some press, um, saying, hey, we've taken some action. We're doing something. You aren't paying us just to sit around and watch the news like you. We're, we're in the field. We're in the game. Yeah, that's an interesting point as well, and it's kind of circular in where we started with just Google kind of going through this identity crisis Right now, I think that for the first time in a very long time, maybe ever, they're they're feeling legitimately challenged that their cash cow that is search is undergoing a fundamental shift. Right, I think we could speculate all day long on whether it will be perplexity or another maybe you know search provider that ultimately wins this kind of horizontal search. But I think there is no question that AI is going to be infused throughout the kind of search and information synthesis process, and fundamentally that provides opportunity for someone other than Google to kind of rule that day. Um, I think, I'm not sure that we had the conversation here or elsewhere, I know we referenced it last week with regards to Amazon and the ads business. I also think this represents a fundamental shift in the way that search is monetized, right? And it's like if you're not immediately returning results in the form of resources in the term of search uh, pages, uh, I do wonder how search might be monetized in the kind of a uh, age of AI, if you will, um, other than users paying for it themselves and user behavior is not, they're not used to paying for search. That's something that is, has been free, you know, similar to social media and otherwise. We did just see Twitter now X go through this transition in which it was a completely free platform. And then Elon kind of installed 
uh, you know, premium subscriptions to, to be able to kind of, um, you know, access more information, have unlock additional features, um, kind of verify yourself so that you could kind of you know, stay off of the bot lines, um, that kind of thing. It, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of business model, I think, uh, develops over time within this kind of, you know, AI first search, uh, uh, environment that we're headed towards. Just to change gears, um, did you guys read about the potential for the Russian nuke in space? I'm curious um, if you had any any reaction to that. Uh, I'm having a reaction now. What's the story? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a story that was circulating that Russia was either planning to have or maybe already had a nuclear weapon in space. The idea being if they set off a nuclear weapon in space, it, it would hit some immediate number of satellites but then the debris would knock out basically all of the other satellites as they circulated the Earth. So you'd essentially wipe out almost all the satellites around Earth and create a debris field um, to knock out communications, all sat satellite-based kind of communications through a single event, a single bomb that would go off. Um, and uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and paranoid um, on the morning that I woke up and AT&T had this massive nationwide cell phone outage. I was thinking, uh, maybe this is this is the hack. This is the beginning of uh, some major global event. It's very it's a very fast and furious type of villain <laughs> like plan. <laughs> it's, it's very, very cinematic in nature. That's interesting. I mean, like. Um... I don't know why it made me think of like, just like in general, like uh, if you saw Oppenheimer, like there's that same sort of like paranoia in the movie about like, Hey, if we set off this reaction, like the chain reaction of these particles colliding can like ignite the entire atmosphere or whatever. And it's just like no nothing to say there of like real substance. It's just interesting to just like hear that as just like, Oh, we can chain react the, like this issue into a much, much bigger one with like one little thing. Um, yeah. Interesting. And definitely this is, 100% recency bias on my part because of the Elon biography that I just finished listening to. But it's it's interesting to think about this in context of the Russian-Ukraine conflict and how in the very early days of that conflict, one of Russia's chief tactics was to take down the communication of Ukraine. And basically the only way that got brought back online was SpaceX's Starlink system, and so which is which is obviously satellite provided. Um, so it's, it's just interesting to me that the next evolution of that would maybe naturally be to devise a plan that would also knock out that type of communication system. Um, so to kind of take away the the insurance. Um, so so no, I hadn't heard about it, but it is it is somewhat fascinating to think about. And again, just kind of synergizes well with the book that I just recently finished. So. Yeah, here's just a quick snippet since you guys didn't look at it. Here's the article in Bloomberg. U.S. tells the allies Russia may launch anti-satellite nuclear weapon into space this year. Russia responded saying they had no plans to do that. Um, and there's lots of debate of who might and who might not launch a, uh, an anti-satellite uh, nuke. Um, suffice it to say, it would create a big mess for everybody uh, to have that much space debris. We'd need some kind of space vacuum system. So maybe Elon's got a team working on cleaning up the space debris field as we speak. Sorry. Not uh I don't really want to be putting the entirety of our you know future uh, protection in Elon's hands, um, for better well, or worse, it, you know. It but, probably but, already is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Um no, I mean it's interesting. I think there's lots of threads to pull um as an extension of that because I think that 
as we're going to see in news cycles this year, especially as we head into election season, the Russian-Ukraine conflict and the conflicts of the various parts of the Middle East in, at large kind of are going to play a massive role. So I think it will be a constant topic of headlines and, and maybe some things that we'll be able to dive into on future episodes of um, this podcast. But uh, yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let's, let's, let's wrap for today. Um, like I said, we'll get into some stuff next week. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us as always. Please be sure to catch us on all the major podcast platforms and check us out on YouTube for some upcoming videos. Thank you. And see you next time. Do with the- a little